Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. This Wednesday on the site, we are releasing our 2020 NFL Draft Guide, where you can find all things draft-related leading up to the first round on April 23rd, including scouting reports on each prospect by Danny Kelly and much more. We'll be updating it regularly with new analysis that takes all the latest developments into account. You can check that out on Wednesday on TheRinger.com. What's going on, jabronis? It's Pitch Mr. Perfect, Skylar Aston. Hey, this is Bruce Pritchard. First battle season one champion, Mike Long. The king of sad stop. The Silver Lake heartthrob. It's Trey Kirby. It's Nick Mundy. This is your real WWE superstar, the legit boss, Sasha Banks. Hey, this is WWE superstar, Braun Strowman. My name's Kevin Owens. I'm Shinsuke Nakamura. Zach Linder. Dan Black, a.k.a. the Goofaraja. I'm AJ Styles, the phenomenal one, if you will, and you're listening. You're listening to this. You're listening to. You are listening to. You're listening. You're listening. listening. You're listening to the Masked Man Show. 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 Welcome to the Masked Man Show. I'm your host, David Shoemaker, joined via remote magical hookup by my heel producer, Jim. It We just uh, we just had, had the Royal Rumble. There, I mean, it was an awesome Royal Rumble. It was the greatest Royal Rumble maybe of uh, recent memory. And um, a lot of cool stuff to talk about. We had, uh, since the last time we were here, obviously we had a whole week of professional wrestling that we can discuss, but the Rumble's the big thing, man. The Rumble's everything. Um, and, and then some of the fallout from Raw. Uh, Jim, you watched the Rumble? I did. It was freaking awesome. It was awesome. The Royal Rumble, the way the story of the Rumble, I mean, the, the way, we, last week, I think, you asked a question about what my favorite Rumble was, right? What the best Rumble was? Did we talk about that? I think uh, Brian Campbell asked you that. Uh, this might be number two. Wow. Number three? I don't know, man. I mean, it's one thing, listen, like, let's compare and contrast to the Ric Flair Rumble, right? The the Fair to Flair. Mm-hmm. Gold standard. We can talk about it, but the end result of this conversation is going to be, or the end point of this conversation is going to be apples and oranges. This is like comparing a virtuoso, like, solo man and guitar on a stool performance <laughs> with a symphony. And what we got on Sunday was the symphony. There's nothing, it's, I'm not saying one's better than the other, one's more impressive than the other, but like the Ric Flair story was told as perfectly as it could have been told, but you could have subbed out 20 of the dudes in that match and it wouldn't have made much difference to how perfect that story was told, right? Mm-hmm. This story, this had so many pieces that were, comp- that everything was, I mean, we got the Brock Lesnar story on its own, and we'll, we'll break this down piece by piece. The Brock Lesnar versus the world story on its own was enough, was as much storytelling as we've gotten in Rumbles, in some Rumbles past. Many, more than we've gotten in some Rumbles past. That was a good story. If the whole thing had been Brock throwing dudes out of the ring and it ended with the ricochet nut shot and Drew booting him out, that would have been fine. That would have been a good Rumble. But that was only like half of the Rumble. We also got the big edge return. Spoiler alert for those of you who don't watch professional wrestling. We also got um, a... Uh, not incredibly long, but like meaty, significant play out of the Seth Rollins and company versus Joe and K Ke- and, and uh, Kevin Owens angle. Um, we got a little bit of a whiff of uh, of Alistair Black thrown into that angle, but also just an Alistair Black performance. 
Um, we got basically a good, you know, good looks for, you know, Ricochet, for Kofi, for some of these people that are like kind of Brock adjacent. And then we got, you know, King Corbin doing his best to to heal up and on everybody. We got uh, Roman Reigns having a good show, but then being used in the way that that Roman no one is better than Roman Reigns, which is to get, which is to make you think that there's no other uh, outcome but Roman Reigns winning, only to be wonderfully surprised when it's something else. And then above all else, we got a shocking, like a, I mean, I would obviously we talked about Drew last week, but like all things considered, a nice surprise ending that is really just sort of, regardless of how much uh, where he was where Drew was on your picks, we. You went to bed on Sunday night trying to imagine how WWE had, was just reshaped. I mean, and you and it wasn't like some out of nowhere thing. It wasn't a disappointment. It was. It felt. It was like it. We woke up Monday. It turned on Raw, and you were like, "Let's see where they go. We got a whole new world." And, uh, um, yeah. I mean, I thought it was just really, really good. All these stories they told they, they were told in like wonderful overlapping fashion, and it's a credit to WWE that people are actually giving them credit for it. This is. It wasn't just like, oh yeah, that was fine. People are now, I think Meltzer reported the people who were responsible for writing, you know, the creative team behind that match. Uh, the interesting name on the list was Shane McMahon, by the way, who's apparently just a not always the best like match storyteller on his own or for other people, but is apparently just like a a, a phenom at, put, at at contributing to Royal Rumbles. Like that's <laughs> his brain just works in some like beautiful mind way when it comes to Rumbles. It used to just be Pat Patterson, you know, that could just figure all that stuff out. Pat's not really around anymore, but uh, you know, obviously Heyman was very involved. Uh, you know, Vince was was involved in picking the winner, but I don't think very very involved in the construction. I mean, there is just uh, I, and one other thing that's kind of come out of this, and we'll get to this uh, also more if it comes up in some of the questions. But Paul Heyman has what we saw here is that Paul Heyman has as much control as we could have ever, or as much influence, I should say as any of us could have ever dreamed of when he got the raw, you know, head of raw, whatever producer job. I mean, the, the, the story going around again, I think this is from Meltzer is that the final two people in the running for winning the rumble were McIntyre and Alistair black, both, uh, Paul Heyman guys, you know, both guys who he, who he's been working on, on raw. And, uh, and it was, and I think he's, you know, he probably has a little bit more invested in Black, but like it was just determined that Black wasn't quite there yet. And I don't think anybody would disagree with that. And, you know, they made McIntyre work. And it's, I mean, the whole, th- I mean, there's just so much to be excited about. So much to be excited about after that, uh, after that rumble. I don't know. What was your take? Yeah, I really liked it. I was kind of torn with the Brock eliminating each guy one by one. I was curious if they were going to do the whole match like that. Um, I liked it though because it was different, but at the same time, I do like seeing a whole bunch of guys in the ring at the same time. That's the whole point of the match, even though it always lets you down and not much happens. Just forearm, 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 or whatever they say. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought I, I really enjoyed it. And listen, the, the the rumble's long, and like as cool as the entrances are, I don't mind a portion of the rumble being a sort of straight line. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean. It, it at least when I mean when Brock is doing the like Brock versus the world gimmick, it makes time pass in a different way. I'm not saying it goes faster, it goes slower, whatever, but it's just like it's a different rhythm, and you need those different rhythms to break up a match that long. And I think it's I I, I, I I'm I was into it. Um, oh, MVP we didn't even mention either. Although I think he's he announced that his his match on Monday night was his last, or at least last with WWE. But yeah, there's so much to be excited about, man. 
What did you think about Drew? I was pretty surprised, but I thought I had heard on some other podcast. I don't know if it was uh, St. Germain's Total F and Marks or something. Somebody, I don't know somebody who that mentioned, is. <laughs> yeah, dead to us. Somebody mentioned um, about, oh, yeah, the, the odds. You really think Drew's going to win? They just like kind of said it in passing and they just, I hate spoiler alerts and it got stuck in my head. They always do. So, um, yeah, that was like in the back of my mind. My mind. So then, after he eliminated Brock, I'm like, oh, I guess they're gonna do that. Yeah, but the cool thing about it was after he eliminated Brock, that could have been it. Like that already was enough for Drew McIntyre. Mm-hmm. That was he was so much further ahead at that moment than he was when he walked in. Now, I guess you run the risk of some uncertainty because we've gotten a lot of stop and start with Drew. And I think that the only knock on Drew is the way that he's been handled in the two years or whatever since he's come back. Like, there's nothing wrong with him as a performer. I mean, I could I could make, you know, I, I could spend half an hour talking about how I would tweak his character and, and, you know, do different things with him, but it's clear they're doing different things with him. Like, they're, they know that, it, that what they have or what they had, you know, when the, uh, when the year turned 2020, it wasn't a finished product or wasn't exactly where they wanted to be. But his biggest problem is that they didn't know when he popped up exactly what, you know, his arc was going to look like. And now now we get into the real question. And again, there's so many layers, so much to talk about here. Oh, by the way, I pulled up this article about who wrote the Rumble. Oh, I was going to ask you that where you saw that. I saw it on, um, it, it was, yeah, it was definitely Melt. It was, it's from the, the Wrestling News Observer. Uh, I just Googled around and found it on Reddit. But it was, uh, it was uh, the Wrestling Observer, sorry. It was, uh, it was Paul Heyman. Shane McMahon, Jamie Noble, Abyss. <laughs> nice. Um, I love how he's just known as Abyss. And Lance Storm. Uh, Lance Storm, I think, is the newest hire over there in like the kind of uh, producer uh, department. Abyss has been there for a year after he came over from TNA, uh, along with some of the other TNA crew. Um, and Jamie Noble, I know he's been working back there as a producer for a while. This is, I mean, I don't pay a super a lot of attention to this. Um Obviously, a lot there are a lot of other uh, guys who do, but uh, and, and gals. But uh, but this is the this is the biggest look I've seen Jamie Noble get. I feel like in a while, but I don't know. It takes a lot of people to put together a match this big, and um, I mean, I just thought this was great, man. I really, really enjoyed it. Though overall, the night was really good, but there's a lot of action. You know, there's a lot of different things. I thought the women's rumble, you know, left a lot on the table. It felt sort of like men's rumble from years past that I was sort of alluding to to start the show where like I don't have any big problem with it and I'm not mad at the outcome and I thought there were a lot of successes but and maybe it's a product of like all the you know throwback uh, entrance and stuff and all that you know there's a lot of fun there are a lot of moments but it didn't it wasn't like you know this immaculate quilt of storytelling that that they sewed together for the men on the men's side um, and you know, whatever happens with Charlotte, I think is going to be uh, meaningful wherever they decide to go with that. So, you know, that was pretty cool. Uh, oh, and I didn't even mention, how did I, How did it take me this long in the podcast? My guy Keith Lee made his <laughs> appearance. He looked good, man. He looked good. Maybe my favorite moment of the Rumble, of the whole thing, was visibly... Uh, tiring Brock Lesnar looking down at uh, at Paul Heyman and saying like who the fuck is this bastard or whatever <laughs> or this big bastard whatever he said it was just fantastic um, they look good you know 
talked about the Randy Orton test in the past. I know Keith Lee's a big dude. I've seen Keith Lee in person a few times. You know, like I, I like I know he's a big dude. There was part of me that wondered if he was going to be like four inches shorter than Brock Lesnar. You know, when they actually <laughs> got in the ring together, he looked competitive. He looked like he could go toe to toe with Brock. And um, I'm like uh, performatively high on Keith Lee, but damn, if he couldn't headline WrestleMania, man. Oh, like he doesn't even need a year. He needs six good months, and he and he could be a top guy. And it's clear that you know he's he's got the he he's you know they're they're high enough on him. So when do you think they call him up full time? Well, I don't know if they're gonna. I mean, that's the whole thing. We don't know what the policy is for call ups now. Mm-hmm. You know. <coughs> Sorry. Sorry. Um, Shayna Baszler is a good uh, you know kind of uh, counterpoint or not counterpoint a good comparison. Um, she had a great showing in the Rumble, and there's a lot of talk that she might win. You know, just and kind of use that as her segue to getting called up. You know, to to bring herself to one of the two, we should you know main shows. But uh, you know, she didn't. She's not. She didn't, and she's not. You know, she doesn't necessarily need to. I mean, she. I mean, she kind of needs to for to refresh only because the roster down on NXT, you know, is smaller and and the opportunity. She she's gone through everybody, and she's not the champ anymore. Obviously, Keith Lee just won the North American Championship. You know, he doesn't need the North American Championship. But I will say that, I mean, but, yeah, I mean, I can't imagine he's going to leave it behind really quickly. I will say this about Keith Lee, and we can talk. Well, you know what? We're going to talk about Keith Lee more later. The Royal Rumble was great. Let's just do questions, unless you have any any questions you want to ask me. No, I think we should get right into it. All right. Jeremiah Nealon asks, Yeah. Edge and Drew McIntyre were two out of three of the Royal Rumble finalists and both had glorious chest hair. Oh. Who were the best non-wax superstars of all time? This is a tough question because it's a it's a it's a question about eras, right? I mean, Edge waxed for a lot of his career. Mm-hmm. Um Triple H is the that's sort of the icon. I mean, he Triple H was the dude who just like decided to stop waxing one day and everybody was like, All right, I don't have to do that anymore. But the best chest hair of all time. Well, the best chest hair of all time has to be Razor Ramon, right? It has to be Scott. Oh, Hall. good answer. If you like runner up, Harley races little like he had like one blonde curly patch between his pecs. <laughs> like Charlie Brown's a, hair. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Um I mean, there are a lot of like hairy dudes, right? I mean, I don't I'm not gonna like sing the praises. I'm not gonna say I sit here and say that George the Animal Steel had like good chest hair, but he had like like some but he had like his chest hair made him what he was and, and shoulder hair and back hair, I guess more specifically. Yeah. Um, dude, there's got to be somebody I'm missing out. Who was like, oh, like um, uh, Buzz Sawyer had some great chest hair back in the day. Uh, Jerry the King Lawler, geez, uh, Jerry the King Lawler's chest hair was like, without that chest hair, he would have looked like uh, you know, like a chubby eight year old in the swimsuit. You know, what I mean, like he's he like chest hair was everything for the king. Um, I don't know there's a lot of there's a lot of dudes. There's a lot of older dudes too. Bruno, Bruno had a good chest hair. San Martino, of course, is what I'm talking about. I don't want to make mm-hmm. you think I'm talking about a, a Sasha Baron Cohen character. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, there's so many, there's so much good chest hair in wrestling history. The waxing of chest hair is a, uh, I mean, was I think that's going to be looked back on as like the silliest of moments. Thank you for sending me this great picture <laughs> of the the early Hulk Hogan with like the weird like uh. <laughs> What are you, it's I don't like a mushroom cloud. That. Like an yeah, it's like a cartoon, a cartoon <laughs> T of, of chest hair. Yeah, that. Imagine having so much chest hair. I mean, I remember, uh, you know, when you're a kid and you're like super envious of like sideburns and stuff. I think it was even, I think I was able to grow sideburns, but the, there's nothing 
I've been more ridiculously jealous of. Well, I mean, there are probably some mullets back in my early days that I was jealous of or rat tails that I that I don't want to, you know, <laughs> that I'm not very proud of. But there's nothing that I was more jealous of than Jeff Hardy or more specifically anybody that had the facial hair th- dense enough that they could grow like shave vanilla ice eyebrow lines in their in their sideburns. You know, I mean, right, like right, I, right. I could do a sideburn, but it was like I needed every hair that I had and I had to like, you know, like comb it into submission to cover up the bald spots. If you could do like weight lines in your sideburn, I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. But to imagine having that kind of flexibility with your chest hair is sort of frightening. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, I always wanted those, the tracks. But Edge Edge with the, with the chest hair looks great. I mean, Edge looks like old man Edge, you know? I mean, he's he's like old man Adam or whatever. Like he's he's like the old man Logan of wrestling, and it's freaking awesome. I lo- I hope that they really play up because he's in the best shape of his life. I mean, not the best shape of his career. He's in very he's in better shape than he probably was at the end. He's in better shape than I think any you know anyone has the right to be at his age with the amount of time he's taken off. He looks great, but he looks different. And I think that um, you know in an era where everybody seems to be um, timeless, ageless. Uh, you know, they just, it's like they walk into their little plastic suit or CGI body or whatever. And we never have to think about what a different, you know, a different John Cena would look like an older John Cena would look like. Like, I like that he looks different and I'm excited to, uh, I'm excited to see him back. We've got a couple edge questions. Did edges pop beat out the 1990 Jake, the snake pop? Was that the biggest one of all time? I don't know. You wrote the article, didn't you? You wrote the book on this thing. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, so I, I, I went through and watched at some point five years ago or whatever and listened to every single pop to try to like rank them. And that was such an impossible task. I was like, fucking, mm-hmm. it's the tilting at windmills. That's what so much writing for Grantland and the Ringer turns out to be. But um, I mean, Edge's response was was pretty incredible. I think that the, I mean, I know I'm, I'm beating a dead horse here for anybody that's like turned on the internet for five seconds since the Rumble, but his, his, the pop was definitely the the pop took a bad backseat to the crappy camera work, where they were just like like showing the crowd just to try to make a moment out of it so bad. Most mm-hmm. like the family the Family Guy thing where they're like dying and he uh, and Peter admits that he never liked the Godfather and they ask him <laughs> why and he's like it insists upon itself. <laughs> that's it. But uh, um, that's what that I mean. That was definitely just like WWE. WWE was insisting upon the big pop right there. I mean, they right. were just like trying to that to, to like milk it to the point where they missed the spear. They missed this for like they just switched camera angles of the crowd during his first spear. Oh, so bad. Um, but yeah, man. I mean, there's so few people. The number dwindles every year that could come back and get that kind of reaction. Um, it was pretty pretty cool, man. And I liked MVP's return. I was excited about that. Um, you know, you got, I mean, I'm not saying I, if I were in charge, I would have said no to MVP. It did take a little bit of the air out because now you're sitting here trying to figure out if both these guys are back full time. And I mean, Edge is obviously a bigger star and everything else, but I might have given Edge a solo. I might have let Edge be the only surprise old school dude coming back. Hmm. Only because, then, I mean, it's. It, it, I don't know. I mean, I, I think there some people weren't sure if this was a one-off for Edge or not. It's not, but you know, and, and I think we all know that now. Um, but you know, let him have his moment. That's all. So, do you think it beat out the Jake the Snake pop, or you don't know? 
I think it probably did. That that the venue, by the way, was awesome. Mm. Where was it again? In Minute Maid Park. They uh, uh they they just I mean it was a baseball stadium. They should just do them at base baseball that, stadium. Houston? Yeah, baseball stadium is the perfect size for a wrestling event for a giant wrestling event. Football stadiums, I mean, listen, WrestleMania, there's nothing like it, but those stadiums are too big, man. They're what? just too, they're too big. I mean, they shouldn't not do WrestleMania in a football stadium, but if you're in the upper deck of the football stadium, I mean, it's not, it's not a, it's about being there. It's awesome. You, mm-hmm. You're watching, you're watching the Jumbotron, you're watching the, you know, you're watching the, the Jumbotron above the ring. That's how you're watching the show. It's, it's, it's not like being there. I, I would love to go to a baseball stadium event. That would be, that looks so great. Do you think, um, has anyone looked into whether or not there was someone banging on a trash can telling Drew McIntyre <laughs> what the hell was going on before he won? Maybe that's how Brock kept eliminating people. <laughs> yeah. Paul Heyman was banging on a trash can outside the ring to let him know <laughs> when to like go for the toss. Yep. All right. Next up we have, all right. This is still on Edge's huge pop. Um, Edge's huge pop at Royal Rumble was partly due to- the- At least we're not talking about Batista's huge pop. <laughs> yeah. Um, his huge pop was partly due to the instant recognition of his theme music. Who is the best all-time oh shit music drop <laughs> other than Stone Cold's Glass Shattering? Uh, speaking of Grantland writing, uh, Bill Simmons wrote this article back in like uh, uh, the, the 2011. We're almost at the decade, the 10-year anniversary Jesus. of Bill writing Good Lord. I pulled it up, but Good Lord, that's his music. Right. Uh, ranking the best entrance songs of all time. This isn't just, it's not strictly about the opening pop, but <coughs> um, who has the best? Like, did you say besides Stone Cold? Yeah, it said besides Stone Cold, who has that first drop? Well, that, that era was, the, that was, that was the era of like putting the drop into the beginning. Like, you know, well, like, I think the, Stone Cold like, like started it because then they do the rock. That's like, exactly yeah, what I was going to say. Which I didn't like. That was like another thing um, forcing itself. Um, I mean, there's some other ones like like oh you didn't know you know the, yeah, the, like the new age outlaws is a great like like everybody just goes crazy. Um, uh, who else is really big? I mean, obviously CM Punk. I mean, if you if if that song played like every I and mean, that's just a great cult of personality. It's just a great song, mm-hmm. super identifiable. Um, I thought of a good one, Legion of Doom. Oh yeah, what a rush! Just oh like, yeah, that's a good one. Um. Uh, Jericho's WWE theme. Mm-hmm. He has the that at number one on here, I guess. Uh, Shawn Michaels is a really cool, like old school one. You, I mean, everybody knows that little dun 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 yeah. dun 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 dun. Um, uh, I'm gonna. I'll, I'm just gonna name read off Bill's honorable mentions because wow, what a moment in time! It's a uh, Batista. I walk alone. Mm-hmm. Hulk Hogan Voodoo Child, which is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sandman's Enter Sandman. I mean, it's hard to deny that. Yep, coming through the crowd. Uh, Goldberg, um, yeah, that's good. John Cena, um, Billy Gunn's Ass Man, which was <laughs> a short lived, but I totally agree. Love that song. It's my wedding song. Oh, Undertaker, mm-hmm. the Gong. Yeah, and 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 Triple H is that little Lemmy guitar riff. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of good ones, man. There's a lot of good ones. I don't know. I don't know what would get the biggest the biggest pop of everything happening right now. I mean, of everybody there right now. Uh, I mean, Daniel Bryan, I'm trying to think of who's who's popular enough. Bryan, Roman, Seth, I mean, I don't know if anybody would be up there. Um, Vince, no chance in hell. Oh, Vince is huge. Yeah, Vince would be enormous. I mean, 
Shane has that great little here comes the money thing. And he got, I mean, he got the biggest pop of recent memory when he made his comeback. Yeah. But what about um like DX NWO? Oh yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. I mean, I don't even it's like there's so many good ones. That era was like so thick with them. Who was writing a lot of those? Johnson, Jim Johnston. Well, I mean, the 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 WCW stuff wasn't him. Um and I'm not sure that he was in charge of like the sound drop beginnings of all that stuff. He didn't know, write but... the Jimi Hendrix one? <laughs> oh, okay. Thanks for clarifying. Um wouldn't that be great if he did? <laughs> uh there's there's some like back to the future joke here, right? But just mm-hmm. like this is your brother, Marvin Hendricks. <laughs> uh, new sound you've been looking for. Uh yeah, I mean, God, there's so many good ones. I, I mean, I honestly think that that it's, I mean, for me, I mean, here's, I mean, it's the New Age Outlaws. There's nothing like it. I just wouldn't be. No one's gonna be that excited to see like badass Billy Gunn, um, or Brian James in there like wrestling. As great as those guys, those guys are like my formative. Those are my favorites of all time. Some of them, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's somebody. I'm sure there's somebody I'm forgetting. There's a million things I'm forgetting. Mm-hmm. American Badass, that period of The Undertaker. Oh, Roland. Roland Roland was a great one. Yeah, I used to really like Rey Mysterio's WCW music. Oh, really? It was like... uh, Sing it for me. It was like that, like almost like a evil cult, like a chant. That's the whole song. It's just like that on repeat. And he used to just come do the craziest shit. He was amazing. It sounds like a weird, like late night game show. Um, <laughs> all right. Next question. Please like tweet me the answer to this. Cause I know I'm forgetting like everybody, but yeah. whatever. How do you think a possible edge fiend feud would look? I, I spent a lot of time thinking about who I wanted edge to feud with. I'm, I'm not mad about edge versus Randy Orton, but I realized that I was really happy that he wasn't fighting Brock Lesnar. And there's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, we don't need to get too, get too far into it, but like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I mean, I, I'm not, I don't think I'd be terribly excited. My gut reaction is I'm not terribly excited for Edge versus The Fiend. Hmm. Because I feel like there is a story to be told of Edge getting his last championship or, you know, one more title or whatever. But I kind of feel like that would exist on its own, and not in, and it's not like a, a storyline about like toppling the fiend, and that's kind of where we are right now, right? Well, doesn't the fiend turn everyone heel, so we'll get heel Edge? I mean, Edge can turn heel if he wants to turn heel. Should bring back Lita if they're going to turn him heel. That would be fantastic. That would be hilarious. We're we're going to get Jason. Ga- <laughs> oh, we got to get Jason Gallagher on the show. His favorite, the only thing in pro wrestling that he remembers. Yeah, we've talked about it with him before. Is uh, the live sex show with Edge and Lita? But anyway. Yeah, I mean, listen, I mean, it would be, I mean, they're both incredibly compelling characters. I, I think, I mean, what is the question? How would it go? How would it look? Would How would want to see it? How do you think a possible Edge Fiend feud would look? I think you could, I mean, you just really lean into the the duality of Edge as well, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. you probably do some, like, funny, you, you bring Christian back just to be the comic sidekick or whatever, but then, like, Edge goes, kind of snaps and goes nuts and starts pulling his hair out and, um... And you can do, you can see if like Edge can match the the duality of the Fiend. He can't, but like if he absolutely goes bonkers and becomes the guy that like speared Mick Foley through a flaming table or whatever he did, like maybe that's Edge has to find that Edge at this old age and 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 we'll see if it works. And then Edge would lose 
Edge would lose. But Edge would find Edge would find the gear, but the gear would not be significant. Would not be sufficient to beat the Fiend. That's that's how I would book it. Hmm. Kind of like Daniel Bryan. That match, by the way, was really really nice. Made me believe, man. Made me believe that Daniel Bryan had a chance, and that's like all you can hope for in those matches. Uh, yeah, I I really enjoyed it. And listen, man, I I would that that strap looked like it freaking hurt. <laughs> what would you rather have? A leather strap, given it's probably a little bit gimmicked or they know how to use it, leather strap across the back, full force, mm-hmm. or like Walter chopping your chest uncovered. And you're talking about pain or pleasure? <laughs> you can answer either way, man. <laughs> Uh, probably the chest, the, uh, yeah, the hand slap to the chest. I mean, okay. Big show chopping your chest. Yeah. I think I'd rather take that too. Okay. That snap of the, well, I'm glad you on. said that because big show is right there next to you. Unless <laughs> here he comes wearing a coal miners glove. Who was your MVP of the women's rumble? Bianca Belair oh, Phoenix, yeah. or someone else. Uh, Bianca Belair is on the short list. Um, can we give Naomi like a little round of applause real quick? Her return was somehow almost as exciting as Edge's. I mean, not there, you know, but like it was so cool to see her back. We're so happy to have her back. She has turned Twitter on on its head in a way that nobody else has. Like she got a reaction that no one else got on Sunday night or on and, and on into the week, which is like loads of people who are like, who is this fucking queen? And just like, just people who don't watch wrestling reacting to like gifts of her entering the ring on Sunday. Um, she was great. She looked great. It's so cool to have her back. Um, she's uh, apparently the uh, Alvarez and those dudes are like, are you getting in trouble for like being too dismissive of her? Like outside the ring gimmick, like whatever. She's getting the attention though. That's what matters. And, uh, yeah, I mean, she's, I think that the, I actually think that the, the, you know, I think that there's been, the, her only flaw in the ring has been compatibility issues. It's been like, that she's not always been, she, she's not always been able to find perfect dance partners. I think that the women's division has grown enough and she's grown enough as a performer that that's going to be less of an issue. And I think that she's got a real, real shot to insinuate herself as like a top, top, top performer. Um, she's certainly got the reaction. So anyway, oh man, who was my favorite? I mean, who who was my MVP? Um, uh, they also suggested Beth Phoenix. Yeah, I thought Beth Phoenix looked really good. I mean, Beth, I mean, I, she was a little bit of a gimmick, you know, but she, but she was, she, you know, um, she was in the ring for as long as just about anybody, probably as long as Charlotte. She might have been, I mean, I'm looking right now. Bianca Belair is number one. Alexa Bliss and Charlotte were right there. Were numbers two and three or three and two to be specific. And then Beth Phoenix and Naomi, I think are right below that. I don't think I'm missing anybody. Um, but um, yeah, uh, Beth Phoenix and Naomi. I mean, Tony Storm. Not the MVP, but I was excited to see her. She had a really good showing. Uh, Santina, I thought it looked really good. Mm-hmm. Um, just kidding. Uh, 
I don't know. Yeah, I think. I mean, honestly, it's Bianca Belair is like my gut is, was my first reaction, and I think I'd probably I'm probably going to stick with that. She definitely had the most. She she gained the most by her performance, and you know, that's what these things are all about. It's really meaningful. Mm. To go back to um, the fiend real quick, we got two more questions that mm-hmm. I think you might like here. With it looking like the fiend versus Roman on the SmackDown side for WrestleMania. Do you think they keep the trend and turn Roman heel? Oh, okay. Two things. This is a great great question. I hadn't even thought about that. First things first. How cool is it? I mean, everybody can disagree on this. I don't really care. But like, I, I think it's super cool that like as soon as Sunday night, actually before that, before Sunday night even happened, I could, I, my, my money would have been on. Roman winning, Fiend winning, and that being a WrestleMania match, right? That that that's that's where they're headed with all this stuff. Mm-hmm. When we came out of Sunday, it was clearer than ever that's where we're going with that, and it really felt right. And yet, I cannot think of the last time a Roman Reigns match was projected two months out, and I wasn't preemptively mad about it. <laughs> like I'm excited for this match; it's going to be fun. I mean, they had the opportunity to make it great if they just sort of like go through the motions, which I don't think they'll do. Obviously, it's not going to be like everything, but uh, I'm down with this, man. I'm da- I think this is this is great, and I think, I mean, how cool would it be if Roman Reigns lost? Uh, maybe that's impractical. I don't know, man. I was listening to the um, uh, uh, an old episode of Something to Wrestle mm-hmm. when and Pritchard was talking about uh, there was you know some talk that they I mean some I think old uh, rumor talk that they were thinking about turning. Um, uh, Ultimate Warrior heel at some point in, in like his second run or some you know somewhere around there and mm-hmm. and and Melter I mean Melter and uh, Pritchard was just like no listen I mean it, you, you he said it, Vince was the same with Hogan and with Warriors just like these guys are heroes and the fans will not buy them as heels no matter what mm-hmm. now obviously times have changed and they did book Hogan as a heel in WWE after he came back at having worked heel in WCW but. It's hard not to hear that and sort of transpose that theory onto John Cena and Roman Reigns, right? I mean, two guys where it was just, it, they've just been begging for it at various times. And you can play devil's advocate and look back and just be like, you know what? It's a good thing they never turned Cena heel because he kind of like, wherever he was the past couple of years was exactly where we want, you know, he should have been. But. I know that I know for a fact that Vince is utterly dismissive of the idea of turning Roman Reigns, or has been forever. I also know, talked to somebody very, very close to him who joked that, like, as soon as you know they finally made Roman Reigns work, that Vince would say, "Now's the time to pull the trigger on the heel turn," because it's just. I think the implication was that, like, you know, everything's everything's unpredictable. (laughs) Why does Vince love Roman Reigns so much? Has anyone ever figured that out? I mean, there's a lot to love. Uh, yeah, but whatever. There's a lot to love with a lot of people. Uh, he just like he's a, to he's specifically a superhero. He's a superhero. Sure. I mean, it's very rare. He is a he has a rare co- combination of skills. No matter how you rate the guy. Mm-hmm. Um. And you know, I mean, for better or worse, like his his he's almost like. This is a bad analogy. Can't wait. Yeah, he's almost <laughs> like a like a like a um, Carmelo Anthony, Ugh. where it's like, like 
he is an he is an MVP level player if he is your number one offensive option. But as soon as like he gets on a team with a lot of other good players, or as soon as his skills diminish five percent, if he's got if he's like your number three option, then he's then his it's not his value didn't go down like five percent. His value just got cut in half, you know. And part of what makes Roman Reigns valuable is his is his is that he is a top guy. That we they've we've been told he's a top guy. He carries himself as a top guy. He like holds down the top of the card even if he's not in the main event or if he's not wrestling for the title. And you know, if he were, if if if, if WWE went out of business and you know all these other wrestling companies are like trying to take his place, if he got acquired by somebody who was just like, all right, you're just going to be like, you know, you're going to be like the heater for somebody else. You're going to be MJF's new muscle or something like that. And nothing, you know, if we were if we lived in, a, I guess it doesn't really make us make sense the way I set it up. If we lived in an alternate reality where he never got pushed to the top, I'm not sure that he would be like, like just a, like a, a really good second tier guy. I'm not sure that if he were, if he'd come along 10 years later, he would be tearing things up in Japan. I think being at the top of WWE is part of his skill set. You know, I mean, you got, you can't really separate those two things. Right. Anyway, I think he's, I think he's great. I think he's exactly where he needs to be. And if you need any more evidence in that, look at Sunday. We're for like the, now it's been like the fifth time in a major match where we've been like given the Roman Reigns tease to put somebody else over. And by the way, talking about how well that match was booked. I mean, somebody said that they should have had Drew McIntyre eliminate him and Edge at the same time to make Drew look really good. Just do like the double Claymore. But then Drew would have gotten the boo for eliminating Edge. There's so many ways they could have done that differently. But they let Roman take the heat for eliminating Edge. Um, and then they let Drew like get the, get the pop from eliminating Roman. Like it was so well done. So well executed. Um, another under... Another, um, storyline that we didn't talk about before. Stop me if this is coming up later in questions. But this is just more of a question, you know, a, a little brain teaser for the listeners. We talked about the fact that the rumors are that it was down between Drew and Aleister Black for the winner, for who was gonna who, who was gonna you know eliminate probably presumably Aleister Black would have had the same role: eliminate Brock, win the Rumble, call out Brock the next night on Raw. What that tells us going back to the Paul Heyman thing, is that this was a raw win. This was booked from the way from a million years ago to be a raw win. Whoever wins is going to take on Brock Lesnar. Which means that everybody from the SmackDown side came in with, I mean, obviously it's a it's a fake sport. Nobody except one person had a chance of winning uh-huh. once the bell rung. But it's interesting that we have a real brand split, a real raw versus SmackDown rivalry on some level. But like they must have known sometime way in advance that this is like this is basically just in the service of Monday Night Raw. This this event, obviously, some other guys from SmackDown were made to look good and blah blah blah. But, um, yeah, I think that that's sort of interesting that like Fox really didn't have a stake in what was going on on Sunday night in the main event. Mm. Anyway, I think I would have liked to see Aleister Black more. I think so too. I mean, listen, what it was interesting because they they've done. I think I said this a couple last week. If you had told, like, I, I was actually, I thought Drew was a better bet two or three three weeks ago than he was going into the Rumble because I felt like they really were trying to push pull the trigger on this Drew sort of the new era tweener count does the countdown before the Claymore pop the crowd sort of like movement and, and and it didn't quite click and they weren't quite committed to it and. 
I thought that I, I kind of thought they tried and they and my, my it felt a little bit like they weren't a hundred percent sure on it. Now I'm glad that they went the way they did, but all of that said, all of that goes to show that like it really only takes a month of leaning into somebody to make it work. And you know, Buddy Murphy rivalry, as good as it was, I think most casual viewers see that Alistair Black was basically just like head kicking jobbers the past three months, and I'm not sure that that really amounts to much of anything in terms of the casual fans' appreciation of him. He's super fucking cool. He's one of the best. Like, he's, he's one of my favorites easily. Mm-hmm. But Drew has been getting that real, like, not, a, not cheap pop, but, like, that real, so natural it almost feels cheap, like, reaction from the crowd. Does The three two one countdown before the Claymore kick, he's getting pops for just saying stuff like, who wants to see another Claymore? Who wants a Claymore party? Like, silly stuff. The crowd likes him. The crowd likes the guy. I think this was the right move. But I agree. I mean, Alistair's, he's the best. He's the best. And, and, you know, he'll get his shot. Looks like Orton versus Edge at WrestleMania. What's the possibility of getting another classic rivalry at WrestleMania in Cena versus Punk? Zero. I mean, (laughs) next question. That's great. I mean, I think Cena, I think, I mean, Cena had that, we talked about it last week, the week before, Cena saying that he wasn't going to come back. He didn't want people to say, like, I remember that, that guy used to be something. I think Cena's still going to come back at some point. Mm-hmm. But I think if there's anything we've learned, it's not going to be a surprise. I mean, it might be a Royal Rumble surprise. I don't think, I think that we'll know in the next couple of weeks if we're going to see John Cena at WrestleMania. I haven't heard his name at all. And CM Punk, I'm going to say it over and over and over again, his deals with Fox, this is not a work. You know, he just is like popping up on there to like see if, because, because Fox thought it'd be cool to hear him talk. And it is cool to hear him talk. But um, we're a long way off from that. And also, as cool as that rivalry would be, I would love to see either of them putting over somebody else. Or at least they, they don't even have to lose. Like you C- know? CM Punk like put over Tom Arnold in the main event of WrestleMania? <laughs> like, um, who would be the best? Who, who would you like to... Who, who should see... If CM Punk came back, this is a really good question. If CM Punk came back, who should CM Punk put over? That's a real question. Vince. <laughs> Get serious. Dead in the middle of the ring. One, two, three. Um, Triple H. I mean, it would probably be somebody like Alistair. But I mean, it's a, I would love to see him put over Kevin Owens. I mean, I don't know. You, you kind of yeah. get in this weird sort of meta discussion awesome. of like whether or not Owens and like Joe are too old to get put over, getting to get that rub. Um, or have, you know, whatever. But like, who would who would he love to wrestle that would actually be like fun? Um, it would it'd be fun to see him take down. I mean, man, I would love to see Punk Nakamura. That would be really fun. Oh, that's cool. It feels like something he would really love to do. Mm-hmm. He loves Kofi. I mean, they were like best of buddies back in the day. That could be really interesting. But yeah, I mean, I think I think Kevin Owens is sort of a natural fit in a lot of ways, and you know, maybe somebody like that'd be. Fun I mean, obviously, oh, he loves the he love he'll love all these indie guys. Someone like Ricochet. Mm-hmm. Like it even seems to like go with like Matt Riddle or something. Like I think there'd be a lot of fun. And Seth Rollins, you know, obviously the one they're sort of like pseudo teasing. Mm-hmm. That could be a lot of fun in its own too. What about Goldberg? By the way, uh, Battle of Messiahs there. I'm not going to dignify Ooh. your Goldberg response. <laughs> <for that. laughs> okay. Uh, one more question about The Fiend. Actually, it's two or three questions in one question. How long do we buy into The Fiend? As soon as it crumbles, it's done. So when do we see it end and who ends it? I'm not sure that it's done. No, he's saying I've, at some point it will be done. 
Like how long? But as soon as it crumbles, it's done. Here's the thing. I've given Bray, I think, a good amount of like fair-minded critique over the years um, for his character development and that like sometimes he thinks that he's like reinventing the wheel when he's like, you know, put like two PSI of air in the tire. But uh, I know and believe, but know, I mean, know from my reportage that he's put more thought into the Fiend character than like any writer, any wrestler has put into their character in forever. Um, can I, I don't even know if we've talked about this before. This is just like, this is a small thing, but this is symbolic of like how much time and energy has been put into this character. Um, you know his mask that he wears as the Fiend? Yep. Would it, would it shock you to, to know? <laughs> I mean, you always hear these stories about like Ma- Ma- uh, Kane and Mick Foley, you know, like eventually the mask got so stinky I had to get a new one or whatever. Right. But it shocked you to know that like the Fiend, just like from like the day that he debuted, he had like five masks and not five masks because they were going to smell bad, but he has a mask that's like more articulated for close-up interviews. He has a mask that's brighter white for low light situ- situations. He has like if every situation he has the right mask to wear. Nice. Like that's the degree of thought that's been put into this character. By him or just by, by WWE him, in by Bray Wyatt. Interesting. By Wyndham Rotunda. <laughs> uh, and I mean that's that's my understanding of it that it, that this is all him. You read but, this somewhere? Or? No, no, no. I know. I I, I was told insider info. But so I mean the question is yes. I mean like if it would beg it, it would shock me if if Bray didn't know right now what the first feud after him crumbling, the, the fiend crumbling was going to be. Now, maybe it won't work. Maybe it will crumble. Maybe the fans will just turn. But keeping that character relevant is probably not the hardest thing in the world, especially if you put this amount of thought into it and you know the, the prospect of keeping it going. But to take the question at face value, um, I mean, yeah. WWE pro wrestling and just pro wrestling history will tell you that like a gimmick this significant, if it sticks around past its sell-by date, it becomes a comedy act really quick. Right? I mean, mm-hmm. you could see the Fiend mask being the new Doink the Clown or something. You know, I mean, it's like, it's not, this is, I think they'll keep it around because the mask is over, but like it could, it could, if they do it in the face of, you know, if it's not really, oh, it's, if it's not, if he's not on top, if he's not scary anymore, um. Yeah, I mean, it could be. It would be. I think that's the downside. The downside is is comedy. It's like you know, Kane's lowest point or Doink the Clown. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think that that's. I think that's it. But you know, all it takes is like suddenly the mask is like not scary and it's happy, and we got a whole new character to work with or something. You know, I mean, there's there there is definitely going to be options here. I just uh, googled the mask just to see if I could find any more information on it. Uh-huh. Do you know it was made by Tom Savini? Tom Savini Studios? Yeah. did all the horror stuff. Yeah. And he was also Sex Machine in Dusk Till Dawn. Really? Yeah, that guy. Remember Dusk Till Dawn? It's a good, great one. I love Dusk Till Dawn. Are you Googling I was Sex just... Machine? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just God, I'm Googling from Dusk Till Dawn. Just, shut down. Just, just Googling Salma Hayek photos. That's it. Um, WWE Fiend Sex Machine. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. Okay. I, I I totally forgot it was Tom Savini. I remember the part where he said, where he like thanked Savini for saving his career. But like when when he, as soon as he saw the mask, but yeah, super cool. That's cool. 
Oh, right. Turns out he was really right. I was skeptical. Anyway. Mm-hmm. I appreciate the fact that he like put in the thought for those different masks. Right? Yeah. Like it makes you it's one of those things. I was thinking as you started to say it, I'm like, oh, he probably needs one like for when he's speaking more. But then to have like a brighter one for um when your company wants to make all the lights red. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. Smart. We talk about this freaking red lights, man. How do you turn the lights? I know I'm not the only one to say this. How do you turn on the red wash or whatever the hell you call it? Mm Mm-hmm. Over a a contract signing that's supposed to be done in blood, like they had Ray <laughs> Wyatt. Did you see that on the on the on the the the, um, the SmackDown before rest, before the Rumble? He jabbed his own hand with like a with a pin, <laughs> and then signed the contract in his own blood. But literally, you could it looked like he was not writing anything. And then when the lights finally like the red lights went out, you saw that it was bloody. But like. I mean, I know he didn't really like bleed, make himself bleed and cover the thing in his own blood, but it, like that's a lot to go through, regardless for a total empty payoff. Mm-hmm. Anyway, just idiotic, idiotic. But at least on Sunday, um, we weren't in the red water. It wasn't shrouded in red. That was really awesome. Yeah. And look, and guess what? The Fiend was just as freaking scary, just as effective. Yeah, I think it's it's better. I'm, it's just distracting. Never like anyway. How would you have booked Triple H winning the Rumble? <laughs> what? You know Wait, you would. You're telling me <laughs> the, the, the the pretense here is I'm working creative and 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 uh, whoever Vince or like Paul Heyman comes up and they're like, listen, quick change of plans. Triple H is entering and he's gonna win, and you gotta you're, you make it happen. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I actually <laughs> have 20 scenarios. I write this every night in my diary. <laughs> yeah. Vince is like, we um, tapped your phone. We know you talk about this every day. Oh, my gosh. What would be the best way to do it? I mean, my, I'm tempted to say you just lean into the hate, right? Mm-hmm. You remember me a long time ago? I said that the best thing Triple H could do was that it was actually like quit getting into shape. Just start getting like fat and like skinny armed or whatever. Yeah, that and that would be because awesome. And still win. He, yeah. And still just go over. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would be all. If he ever came back for like a solid year long run, that would be a great look. Um just to piss everybody off. What a heel that would that would make it. No, uh man. Um I would have him come in. I mean, you got to lean into you, it. You have to you, just have him destroy you tell me everybody. The, yeah, you got to tell me what the gimmick is. It's either he comes in with like he's like second or third from the end when the ring is kind of full but with just with the main dudes and he just chucks everybody out like he just supermans his way through everybody yeah he could be the ring announcer and then the guy the first guy comes in and he just starts tossing each person as they come in yeah i mean it could be listen it would either have to be him in the thick of the main of the top of the roster just going over and you lean into it and you're just like you embrace the booze Mm -hmm. or you do a storyline thing where it's like you know, it'd be fun since everybody knows who he is. I mean, what if he came into the ring when it was just packed, like no one had really been eliminated, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, for, I mean, this is we're not doing the Brock gimmick, obviously, and it's just like you know, there's 20 people in the ring, and he comes in, and like some people are trying to throw him out or whatever because he's a shock, and they're like Triple H is a threat and whatever, and then he just like snaps his fingers, and everybody that he like brought up through NXT just like zombified, just goes and like helps him out, <laughs> and then just all like self eliminate, so he's the last one left. Like that would be a lot, but that it would have to be something like that. Or if you didn't even want to do NXT, I mean, it could be like the lesser lights of NXT or just every jobber. I mean, every like the lesser lights, not jobber, obviously, but like 
are, are all the mid carters who were in the match totally. I mean, completely are just like, you know, we kind of got to do what he says. He's uh, he's the boss's daughter. He's going to be in charge someday. Like I would lean, I would do that sort of gimmick, but whatever. Triple H doesn't need my help. Triple H just Triple H deserves to win any match he's in. Okay, who's your way too early pick for the big surprise return next year? I think we just mapped it out, Triple H. Next year? Yeah. I'm surprised R- Rousey didn't come back, but I'm, I'm guessing if she's going to come back, she won't wait another year. Uh, let's see. A year from now? I mean, the thing with MVP, and even with Edge, but I think with MVP, MVP kind of put the close put the cork in a lot of that generation of of returns that we were hoping for right i mean shelton's back i don't think i think i think mvp's return and i was super excited for it i think that sort of i would still love to see like carlito come back someday but i feel like it, it like mvp sort of like did enough of that like accomplished enough of that that feeling of nostalgia for me um who would i mean who would even be in the running um, John Cena, I think, is the name, right? Yeah. It's it's um or CM Punk. Yeah. Yeah. CM I mean at that point, CM Punk's, I guess, is a possibility. I don't think he's ever coming back, but um but yeah, I mean I whew. I mean we wouldn't have been that excited. I mean, if Drew McIntyre came out of nowhere after like if he had come back two years ago to the Rumble, it would have been exciting, I guess. I mean, there's a lot of people who could conceivably come back a year from now though. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, you know, the best probably a year from now, the best would be like Brock Lesnar. Just give him a year off. Have him lose at WrestleMania and just like spread a rumor that he quit. Mm-hmm. That would be the most effective thing to do. And then just like book him for like every pay-per-view between Royal Rumble and SummerSlam the next year. There's, uh, there's obviously two other names we didn't even mention. Chris Jericho and Dean Ambrose or John Moxley. Oh yeah, that'd be huge. Kenny Omega. Be pretty big. Well, that's not a return. Did, did you oh, say return? Yeah. I think it was return, yeah. Sorry. <clears throat> big surprise return, yeah. Yeah, I mean, God. I don't, I mean, I know that like Tony Khan is running like a proper business over there, but one wonders uh, if someone like Moxley, who has this sort of like, you know, very interesting contract that allows him to work other shows and allows him to work Japan and that kind of stuff. Like, I wonder if you could just like sneak him out from under his contract, at least to the point where you could shock people with a return. Otherwise, it's going to be leaked and it wouldn't be that big of a surprise, but um but yeah, those two names, those two guys would be pretty incredible too, even if you knew they People were need to stop leaking these things. Like, I know. So hey, Fabe only, right? Yeah. Speaking of, but if you're going to fantasy book uh, next year, who do you think would get the biggest pop? Kenny Omega? Cody? Um, I mean, Cody's just, you can't even think about Cody. I mean, he's like an owner. Um, That'd be pretty big. CM Punk would be the biggest pop. Uh, but aside from that, I mean, honestly, I think it's Moxley. Yeah, it'd be crazy. Kenny Omega would be a huge get. I mean, it'd yeah. be a, maybe a bigger get the way that the, the company's shaped right now. But like, um, and and those stories be easy to tell. I mean, it's really easy to like see what they did with they've done with like AJ mm-hmm. and just say like John Moxley. I mean, uh, Kenny Omega could like be a top guy in no time. But I think as far as reaction, I mean, Moxley's got to be there. You know who would get a massive pop if he came out? Who? Conrad Thompson. <laughs> he would. Place would go nuts. Who would be the biggest like non-wrestler? Who would be the best like non-wrestler to throw in? Conrad you think Thompson's so? Huge, yeah. People love him. He's great. What about most heat? Somebody just listed a bunch of different things if we fantasy booked it for next year. 
Most heat, biggest twist, biggest underdog. We don't have to for go this year or next year. For next year's. Um. Dang. I mean, Triple H is probably in that most heat category. Mm-hmm. Uh. I mean, who gets? I mean, who who would? Uh, there's so many. I mean, Vince. I'm not sure there's anybody on the roster. I mean, it's hard to imagine what's going to what the landscape's going to be like a year from now. It's hard to imagine there could be any shocking returns that would degenerate heat in a way like that would be worse than like what Baron Corbin is doing night in and night out. What about Vince riding Roman piggyback to the ring? <laughs> I would pop for that. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I would too. Because he blew um, out both his quads tying his shoes and now Roman had to bring him to the ring. Stephanie and the women's rumble would be pretty, would be, I think we would get more heat than anybody, any, anyone from that family. That's good. Is Keith Lee the Zion of the WWE? Com- oh my gosh. Contrast. Okay, first of all, yes. I mean, that's that's incredibly tempting. But two really good, two, I mean, t- this is a Keith Lee adjacent thing to say. So, two positive signs. Uh, I mean, just in general for what WWE is doing. One, uh, the Drew McIntyre thing, I think before, I think it came out well before the, the Rumble, but they had this cool WWE thing, I mean, thing on the network about him, him like kind of going through his the biggest moments in his career. Which is a cool little baby face look for him, you know. It's it's a shoot thing, you know. It's a, whatever, but like it's it's a it's a good look if you're just like, oh, Drew McIntyre won. I'm gonna see what else they have him on the network, and then that's sitting on the homepage. Like it's a fun little thing to watch. Also, he was on the the um, what's the name of their show? The Bump. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was good on that. He's like very, and he's he's much more like compelling in real life than he is on the mic for the most part. He's great on the mic, but he's he's you know laid back. I think in real life, so it's a, it's a little bit more. A little bit more magnetism there. So, there, so they got him set up with all this like real life accessibility shit, which is good for the guys challenging Brock Lesnar. Also, they have this Keith Lee video on the on the on the YouTube channel. I guess the 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 Performance Center YouTube channel, but I think it's also on the main the main one. Um, and it's sort of like how Keith Lee got here, and it's this real like kind of like heart heart tugging thing with uh, Mia Yim's on there and uh, talking about everything that he's been through. And hell, I mean, I love Keith Lee. I didn't know all this shit. I mean, he's like, he lived in a car. He like, he's just like, how do you get to where I am? By failing over and over again. You know what I mean? It's like a really cool thing. And Keith Lee, yes, is this gigantic guy with this like zero gravity sort of, you know, like, you know, I mean, just moveset and um, he does so much cool stuff. There is a lot of Zion comparison, but Keith Lee's not like 18, 19 years old. Um, and I think that's got to be part of the Keith Lee character going forward. So I don't know what the basketball comp is. You know, I mean, it's not like uh, somebody, I mean, it, there's not like guys that started playing basketball, you know, that popped up in the NBA at like 30. Um, maybe it's closer to somebody like Joel Embiid who like didn't even pick up a basketball until he was, you know, in his teens or whatever. Um, I just looked up the oldest rookie in NBA history. Well, there was that dude who played Pop, for the Lakers Pablo like last Prigioni, year. who was on the Knicks. Oh, yeah, because he, he played in EuroLeague. So there you are, Keith Lee, Pablo Prigioni. <laughs> no, there was a dude that played, that called up from the developmental league like last year or the year before for the Lakers that just hit a bunch of threes who was like 33 or something. I sw- I mean, I could be wrong, mm-hmm. but that was my memory of it. I don't know who the comp is for him, man. He is off the charts cool, man. He's just really, really good. And the cool thing about pro wrestling is that you can emerge more or less from nowhere onto the national stage fully formed. Now, I don't think that always works in everybody's to everybody's benefit. I think that WWE really struggles to find the right balance. They either totally repackage people that don't need to be repackaged. Kinta is a good op- a good uh, um, example of that. Or 
they don't mess with your character at all, which to, which ends up being to the detriment of people who are who are good enough and big enough names to be pushed right under the into the spotlight. I'd say Matt Riddle's a good example of this. Like he could have used a little a little massaging from the creative team before he got put on national television. Not a lot, but just a little bit streamlining. Um, Keith Lee, I complained about his his t shirts and shit last week, and that does ex- that extends to his theme song and his presentation just a little. Um, but that said, the reason why Keith Lee is great and the reason why Keith Lee is over is because, you know, a lot of people watch, a lot of people are familiar with PWG. A lot of people saw him wrestle and evolve and shit before he was in WWE, but the mass viewership, the moment they saw him, they were just, they, they reacted like Brock Lesnar did on Sunday. They're like, who the fuck is this guy? And that's what's so great about him. And you know, Zion came with t- with all this attendant hype. Keith Lee has some hype from certain quarters, but Keith Lee just a um, Keith Lee was just materialized as what is his historical parallel? I don't even know. Arvita Sabonis. No, oh, that's actually really good. He's the Arvita Sabonis. That's it. Done. Mm-hmm. Forget everything I said. <laughs> He's the Sabonis, except his knees aren't shot yet. Thank God. Has anyone pointed out that that fiend mask looks an awful lot like the Joker? No. Um, remember in Spawn, the villain, the Violator, oh, the, the fat guy. Yeah. Oh, the Violator. Yeah, he's got yeah. the same face paint thing. And everything. no, but jo- I mean, and yes, and then and and the, but there, I mean, there really was like a storyline from the Snyder Capullo run on Batman, not too distant past, where the Joker's face got like ripped off and he had it like taped on or like mm. you know like clamped on to his his own like face, skinless face. Mm-hmm. And it looked exactly like this. Interesting. Like, I don't. This is. There's a lot of. There's a like lot of some, precedent. Yeah. There's something else that reminds me of somebody else had that on their eyes. Barbarian. Somebody. I don't know. Anyway. Uh. By the way, that was Andre Ingram, the Laker that you were thinking of, who went from the D League and came out and like hit all those threes. And was that was I right that he was like in his thirties and it was his yeah. first appearance? Yeah, I saw a special on him too. All right. Next up, we have. Okay, here's a deep. Fantasy booking question. If you had to book a two-night WrestleMania, which you invented, trademark David Schumacher, using this year's storylines, what do you put on night one and what goes on night two? And would you spread NXT matches into both nights and get rid of TakeOver? Can TakeOver stay on Friday? Yeah, you you keep TakeOver separate. you gotta keep. Well, now that I said Uh that. Uh Uh-oh. What if you did two nights? I mean, it's tough. I, the temptation would be to do to have each show have its own night at WrestleMania, right? Mm, I don't know. No. I mean, I, I have been a proponent for a two-night WrestleMania forever. Yeah. I've not thought it through. Uh, I, I must admit. I don't, because I guess my, my gut instinct is that it's, it's not too hard to book two nights. I guess having two, ma- having two things that look like equal main events is, is a little bit tough. But... Yeah, I mean, I guess it's just like it's you can't really have you know uh, your like legends match that you that everybody knows is going to be like mediocre work rate and eight minutes long and call that a main event. You know, I mean, it's a little bit it's it's much easier for that to be your semi main on one big card. Um, but <clears throat> I mean, you have to kind of you'd have to book it way in advance. You'd have to. I mean, basically, you would do. I don't see any reason why you couldn't do Brock Lesnar versus. Versus Drew McIntyre on Sunday and Roman Reigns versus The Fiend on Saturday. 
and kind of build up around that. I do think that it would be interesting to have if you're if you're tearing everything down starting from scratch. Why not just have the two the two NXT matches that you know are going to be five star classics, one on Saturday, one on Sunday. If you're doing if you're if you're breaking Mania up into two nights, you know, like let NXT be the Steamboat Savage of the new two night WrestleMania setup, and just put put a match that you know is going to kill on each show. Um, that's probably how I would do it. And then you kind of just like you put a, you put a main event on each show. And then you put in a big NXT match on each show. And then, you know, the second tier match would sort of fill in the blank. You probably, you know, you put the Seth Rollins and, and Posse versus KO and Joe thing on one show. And you put, I don't even know what the equivalent would be on the other show. Daniel Bryan on the other show, I guess. Um, and then you kind of go from there. Hmm. Did that answer the question? Yeah, I think so. I mean, they, you they just, asked for current storylines, which you used, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, that's that's We're what I would do. Just break it up, Raw and SmackDown. Well, then then one show become one show is a Saturday night sucks, show. That yeah. would be kind of shitty. And also, you got to fill up a football stadium two nights in a row, which is like that's the scary thing. Mm-hmm. It's weird. You almost would have to do. Well, not you wouldn't have to, but you'd almost be tempted to link the tickets, right? Like maybe have them be like if a ticket to WrestleMania costs two hundred bucks, then maybe instead of four hundred, it's like three hundred for both nights, mm. same seats. You know, like you get same seats. I call same seats. Um, <laughs> Leave your jacket. Yeah, exactly. Just because, like, you want to have the impression that the story is not finished. The, the story isn't isn't told unless you've seen both. I know a lot of people, you know, pick between the different shows when they go, especially if you live in the city that the, that WrestleMania has come to. I think a lot of people would naturally go to all the shows, but you know, if someone if it's super expensive, then people are going to choose. You know, if you're flying across the country, you're spending a hotel room, you got to what? I mean especially if you're a parent coming with your kids, let me speak from personal experience. You probably go in and just be like, all right, I got tickets to Sunday. I'm not going to waste money on, you know, I'm not going to spend the money to go to both nights. So I'm going to, you know, let my kids swim in the hotel pool on Saturday and then we'll watch it on the network and eat pizza. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that I feel like that would be too easy. So even though I've been a proponent of this for a while, maybe I'm calling uh, backseas. We'll see. Um, I just thought of a billion dollar idea. Um, but I'm not going to put it on the podcast, but I can tell you. It's better. A billion dollar idea? Yeah, it's better than your two day WrestleMania. Three days like Coachella and you like camp out and shit. Oh my freaking God. You know, it's I mean, AEW should do that, but mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, it feels like really counter to WWE, but. I feel like the at those. Uh, gigolos like do that or something. The juggalos, yeah. Whatever the hell they're called, yeah. Yeah. I see uh, Insane Clown re- ICP Wrestling or whatever. Um, yeah. Gathering the Juggalos. Yeah. But it's I amazing how many, it's amazing how many like, like mainstream wrestlers, big names from WWE and AEW have like done shows for the Insane Clown Posse over the, because like there was a time when that was like the one of the biggest like minor league one of the biggest indies we should do uh, a live show at that Gathering of the Juggalos does that still happen I guess it does there's does a documentary there's like a 10 year old yeah like documentary it. about it's it that's great. so good so American good. Juggalo is what it's called everybody mm-hmm. google that and watch it on YouTube it's free and, it's amazing. and early was the last time I looked mm-hmm. um, that would be awesome though I would I mean a live podcast with them would be fun no, not us. Yes. Like w- WWE should just do 
Like that should be summer. Like SummerSlam should turn into fucking Bonnaroo. Right. Just like have it on a, just mm-hmm. find a field. Somewhere in like find Florida. A, it's it's going to be like the Firefest, I guess. Like mm-hmm. Fly in a bunch of yurts from somewhere. <laughs> no, it could be, it could be really, really cool. Mm-hmm. I, I would, I would be all about that. By the way, I don't know how, I don't know. We need to think that. of a good name for it. Um, Camp Kayfabe. <laughs> um, Camp Kayfabe. That'd be like, you know, it has to be something epic. Like, just like WWE. St- uh, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll figure something out. Mm-hmm. All right. We have an AEW question. Oh, yeah. Do it. Remember them? After Jericho finishes his feud with Moxley, who else on the roster would make for a good angle with Le Champion? I mean, kind of the problem with the AEW schedule, and this is not a knock, the one of the difficulties is that with the spread out, you know, pay-per-views, that uh, you it's harder to do like this feud go, it's harder to make a, paper, a feud last for two pay-per-views. It's an old school setup, right? I mean, it, it, I like it better in just about every way, but Moxley Jericho kind of feels like it should be, it's like, it should be a long feud. And obviously they can drop it and come back to it and blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, that, that's not a knock, but my gut, my gut, my first reaction was let them go for like three months and then see who's popular after that. Hmm. Um, I would all, I, I mean, soon at some point they're going to have to pull the trigger on Jericho just losing no matter who it's to and then have a little period I would think of, of disarray at the top of the card. Um, because that's, but that's a story to tell in and of itself. So, um, if Jericho beats Moxley, Though, just to take, again, to take the question at face value, um, they're about to sign, wait, who are they, who are they about to sign? Uh, Brian Cage, his name has been mentioned a lot, but he's out for like six months or plus with a torn bicep or whatever. I think they're about to get uh, Luke Harper and Lance Archer um, from Japan. Uh, So between Cage and Harper, I mean, whenever he shows up and Harper and Archer, I mean, it's a, or Brody Lee, I guess is what we're going to have to start calling Luke Harper again now. Um, You know, the Haas division of AEW uh, just got a big boost. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, geez, Brody Lee, Luke Harper is going to look like, is going to look like El Gigante in AEW. (laughs) Um. So that's an interesting choice too. I mean, it would be interesting. I mean, that'd be kind of a cool gimmick if suddenly Jericho is like has like a bunch of giant big ass dudes breathing down his neck and he's just like, dude, I've been I reconditioned my body to like fight cruiserweights all over again. Now what am I gonna do? And then, you know, he just gets squashed by somebody. Um But that's probably where I would go. I mean, I don't know that there's a logical thing. Cody's written himself out. Um, I think the only other one you go for is Kenny Omega, right? I mean, I guess you could do I guess you can go Omega. Who who it, without doing a major storyline shift, if we're just going to keep this in terms of like may the best man win, slightly old school main event wrestling. Hangman or Omega has got to be the one to take the belt off of him. Um, and dang, I'm tempted. Tempted, I say. Um. To say this ends with like, man, I don't know if this is a prediction or just what I would do. I'm tempted to say that like, that you just turn that into the storyline. Those two guys, you're now your tag team champions are going after the title, both of them separately. 
kind of comes in between their friendship or there, there obviously is a lot, there's some stuff already in between their friendship. Um, they lose the belts because of it. You do a little mega powers thing. And maybe Hangman just like joins up with Jericho. That's the big turn. And then Omega has to somehow like overcome and beat both of them. Um, that's, that's probably the direction I would go. Those two guys. But we do have a lot of name, big names coming in. So we'll see. Jason Koenig or Koenig asks, I'm taking my seven-year-old daughter and five-year-old son to a Ring of Honor show in Baltimore in a week or so. Oh, yeah. How do I get them hyped for the show? Um, I will say this. Um, been to a lot of Ring of Honor shows, never in Baltimore, always in New York. Um, Ring of Honor, for for all of their shortcomings in recent years, and and I think that we're we're over the hopefully over the hump on that in the Marty Scroll era. Um, they've got a they've admit, they've talked about a lot of cool stuff that's happening in the future, but Ring of Honor knows how to put on a live show or at least the vibe of a Ring of Honor show is super cool. And, um, uh, you know, the crowd's usually really into it. And my experience, and again, it's been a while, is that, like, there's never, I mean, I, when I've taken friends to Ring of Honor shows, and again, it's been a while, uh, it needs no introduction. You know, you roll in, I mean, if you, as long as you can get them in the door, Ring of Honor is, a, is just a really cool vibe. It's like, there's a lot of, there, it's, they, they can put on a good show. Um, and like I said, the Marty Scroll era, um, is very, very promising. And I feel like this is a, this is a free show, right? In Baltimore. Mm -hmm. I feel like this was a Marty Scroll idea to put on a free show in Baltimore and that, and that, uh, that leads me to believe they're going to, they're going to pull out all the stops to really like, you know, um, put on a good one. So we'll see. We'll see. Mm -hmm. I don't know what to tell your kids. Just tell your kids it's going to be awesome. I don't know how old your kids are, but like five and seven. Oh, five and seven, five and seven. Just tell them. Five and seven, you tell them you'll buy them shirts or you're like, buy them popcorn and they're excited. <laughs> um, it's a lot of fun, man. Just go and enjoy it. I, hope you, I mean, your, your kids will have a great time. Um, and uh, yeah, well, I mean, what else needs to be said? Just tell them to like, just scream at Marty Scroll as loud as they can. See if you can, they can get his attention. Cole Lipinski asks, what do you think Braun does WrestleMania weekend? Um, eats all the food in Tampa. <laughs> I was gonna say I know the answer. Eats Chipotle like a maniac. Um, I don't know what Braun does. Um, I don't think that the Braun, um, uh, Elias like duo that we saw on on uh, SmackDown is like a permanent thing. But it's sort of interesting, you know, when they when they when we kind of start like inching towards WrestleMania, and all of a sudden like main eventers are like finding buddies to become tag team champions with so that we can have a title match at WrestleMania, i.e. Seth Rollins. That I don't know that that would shock me. It also wouldn't shock me if you saw Braun Strowman matched up with like Keith Lee or, you know, maybe well, throw him in with a, with like some of the other big dudes from NXT, Dijakovic or whatever. I mean, like there's- Or there's a child some... out of the crowd and kill his whole run. What if he turns on Nicholas? Mega Powers explodes now. Um, what about Braun versus like Nakamura and Cesaro? Ooh. Or Braun and you could do Braun and, and uh, Elias versus those two. I don't know. There's a lot of cool things you could do with them. And stick it in the dark match pre show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> we got one more question. Let's do it. Will you ever forgive Jim Cunningham for taking so long to release the last episode with you? 
Jim, you're already forgiven. Okay, but don't worry, like that, the wait for that episode will definitely be in the video package like a year from now when I hit you with a chair. And we have Perfect. to explain why. But for now, everything's forgiven. Good. We got to get out of here. Thank you for all the questions. Thank you guys for listening. Jim, thank you for being here and for being you. Apologies, as always, to John Moxley. Mm-hmm. We will see you back here next week, humanoids. Tony Schiavone here on The Mass Man Show. We are desperately out of time. The tape machines are rolling. We'll see you next week on The Mass Man Show. That's the whole song. It's just like that on repeat. It's my wedding song.